Imagine there's no heaven It's easy if you try No hell below us Above us only sky And all the people living for today. Welcome. My name is Anne Wilson, and it is my pleasure to host the Emerge Australia podcast series in which we speak to people impacted by and associated with MECFS and long COVID. We acknowledge the traditional owners of the lands on which we meet, and we do pay our respects to elders past, present, emerging, and anyone listening here today. So if we focus for a moment on John Lennon's iconic song, Imagine, I wonder if we can imagine a world where there is no discrimination or stigma, a world where the voices of those suffering invisibly in silence are heard, seen and addressed, a world where we have a cure for MECFS and long COVID or at the very least a biomarker or a diagnostic test. In John Lennon's words, imagine all the people. Today, we talk with Chris Quill, who was a fit, healthy man with a rich career giving back to others as a disability support expert. Chris's life was shattered by MECFS soon after he contracted COVID. Initially, he thought he had a mild case of COVID, beginning with brain fog and fatigue, but this insidiously grew worse. He developed sensitivity to noise and couldn't tolerate being around others. He knew something was wrong when he realised there was no way he could go back to work. Chris became bedbound. Overwhelmed by debilitating symptoms, Chris came to a point where he lost all hope. So to tell us more about his journey and his story, I'm delighted to welcome Chris Quill to our podcast series. So welcome, Chris. Thank you, Anne. So why don't we start this conversation by asking you to reflect a bit about yourself, your family, (laughs) and your life pre-MECFS and long COVID? So I have a short answer for everything. And a long answer. No uh, worries. You go. Which would you prefer first? A uh, short answer, perhaps? Well, if you're going to give us both, yeah. you know, <laughs> go short and then long. Yeah. Look, I, I certainly miss what I had. And as my wife reminds me in the song, uh, you can't, sorry, there goes my brain again. Don't worry. I'm not even going to explain. You already know. Look, I miss who I was uh, and I grieved that once I started to understand uh, what was happening to me and where where this was going. Um, and I only started to understand that once I contacted Emerge. Um, there were also a lot of people, uh, a lot of my mates and mates of mates, people that they worked with that said, look, I know somebody who has this, talk to this person. So I had, I think I had every, every opportunity and every skill set, all the support needed to push for a diagnosis quickly. 
um, and also to really, really push hard for recognition and in the law uh, about how these things are currently treated in, yeah, in the medical system at the moment. Uh, and I just want to be very clear, like I've, I've gone through a lot of different emotional states this past year. But as I've learned more about how I operate, as I've learned more about how much I didn't know, being an expert, a self-proclaimed expert, 25 years, a quarter of a century working with all these wonderful individuals that I did. And I couldn't see it until I had it. And I just, I hope the message uh, here today is not one of blame or, or anger, just more of um, this is actually happening and it's not good for anyone around that person that it's happening to. Uh, so we just, we need to recognise and maybe, you know, learn how to live with this or to improve the situations of people who are well become utterly crippled i guess is the is the blunt way of putting it uh by conditions like this yeah i'll, I'll let you get a word in otherwise i'll keep going <laughs> that's fine that's fine yeah. so um when you think about that life that you now grieve for, what was it like? You you worked, you were um, a disability yeah. support yeah. expert. What was that like? What's your family life like pre oh. your condition? Give us a little glimpse of how active. Friends. Yeah, friends, dinner parties, two wonderful little boys who are just, full of energy and looking at life in interesting ways. It, I, I rode an e-bike to work that I put together. My, like, life was very good. Um, I exercised alongside some students, you know, just prior to all this, and we're helping them out with, with all sorts of very tough and very specific, very... Uh, disability specific issues that have been worked out all they had to do was uh be trained right like all the legwork's been done i think like uh ma uh it the legwork the science looks like it has been done and done thoroughly and that's from a layman's perspective the issue isn't the science it's the the message Sorry, I, I digress again. I was a lot more um, was a lot more than I am now. Uh, a lot more functional. Uh, a lot more precise. Uh, when I spoke, I spoke with purpose and didn't ramble. <laughs> uh, so I've I've changed significantly, and one of the big challenges is that when you undergo a transition like this and you don't look ill, in fact, you look the opposite or to some untrained eyes or to others, I don't know anymore. When you look well and strong, I believe there's an underlying assumption that it's all all generated from you um and that was the hardest thing to to i knew the truth but having everyone else not know that it, it was really hard to come to grips with that and also that my life had i, I had to build from very little um but build you can and build i did with continuing heavy support from 
my wonderful wife, my kids, my friends, my parents-in-law, they've taken up most of my fatherly duties, which I I don't care what anyone says. Responsibility is what makes an adult an adult, and I miss those responsibilities. Um, yeah, which is a strange thing to say. Trust me, anyone who knew me before, yeah. So I've changed a lot. So that, that is, you know, that is who you are, Chris. Um, you know, you yeah. are someone who who took responsibility for their life and and being someone who liked to get on with things, um, loved his job, loves obviously his family and his children, and all of a sudden you were robbed of the ability to do all of those things across those different roles in your life. I mean, that is huge. Yeah. Uh, and obviously that's what so many people um, with MECFS and long COVID now are experiencing. So, um, of course, it changes you. You're a different person, totally. Um, and we'll talk a little bit about the grief and loss later on. But I'd love to ask you, what impact on you did having to stop work have? Because you loved the work that you did. You worked with people to support them in their disabilities. Yeah. So how did that impact you? I had just refined and understood the processes that made the successful students I taught successful. So I say that because, and I try, I'm trying to say it carefully, um, because I, I deeply loved my work, but also my students and I, my previous cohort in a, in a primary school, I, I taught them for a number of years, seven or eight years in the same environment, and I learned a lot. I learned about environment. I, I learned that I had ADHD <laughs> uh, and had done so the whole time. So I was drawn to this without knowing that I was like them. But I was conditioned to not be like that. You deny these things, right? Sure. Uh, half Greek, so you didn't want to be any more different uh, in the nineties. <laughs> <laughs> right. And it's just, it's just that those were the times, and and there's no blame or anything there. Those were the times that we lived in. Yep. And it was wonderful to see that my principal deserves a special mention. She saw what I was doing was working. It was unorthodox, but it worked because it was all based in science. Oh, that's how you do that. Okay. You know, you get the buy-in from the students and off you go. You learn new things together. It's wonderful. And I was invited to teach in a high school. And I was, whoa, you know, primary school to high school. And I thought this method worked with these guys. Surely it would work with older children. And it was. And we were six months in and everything was going beautifully. Just as predicted. And then I had, well, how would you describe it? My my energy take, it was stolen. It felt like it was stolen. And that was a period I can't even remember, maybe one or two weeks, and I was like a headless chicken. Like I didn't know I had my, yeah, I was just trying to get back to normal. Um, yeah, so it, it was a big thing. Um, and yeah, it did have a big impact because I really cared about what I was doing, but I was so destroyed. 
like utterly destroyed by whatever happened on the inside and no one could explain it. And four months into all of this, you know, just I've been in this room. It's like lockdown. It, it really is. If you think about it like that, it is. But I've mm -hmm. been locked down for 12 months. Everyone else had a taste of that, right? Of being, especially people in Melbourne, like a big taste of being locked in place. But uh, yeah, it's it's something you really have to deal with or you go off the deep end. So it can be done though. Yeah. It can so be done. Can I ask you how your family have coped with the deterioration in your condition at that time? I've never met more staunch people. <laughs> um, I married well. I married perfectly. Uh, my wife is a very, she's a teacher as well, uh, but she's always been a high school teacher, so made of slightly tougher stuff than I am. Uh, and she just, she got to it. She weathered it all. She said, all right, let's let's see where this goes. And she just stuck with me every day. So, And my, my kids, well, my youngest didn't. Uh -huh. Sorry, give me a moment. My youngest will never know me as I was. But my oldest remembers, and he mourns it as well, and that comes out in behaviour sometimes. But we have a wonderful school, and as I said, without it's not just one or two people here and there. It's not a charity. or There is a massive network of people who know what you're going through. And all you have to do is chat to them. And the thing I've tried to reconcile right now, I will. Is it a stab? Is it just the truth? I am disappointed with the current response from government. I'm still a current employee. I, I won't work again. And, and that will come to an end. But I'm still, a, I was, I worked for government for, 25 years um, and I understand the need to hold off on any responses until there's a strategy and I, I understand that deeply, I do but that strategy and, and, and things don't get pushed until enough people come forward but I suppose what we're saying is coming forward drains the life out of us it drains the vitality from us because people around us, including our GPs, are telling us you need to see people who deal with the mind, not with medicine. And that's just not true. And we know it's not true. So has anything I said not been true, is not been accurate? Because I'm happy to be corrected. Um no, yeah. I mean, what's beautiful about these podcasts that we're putting on is that it's your truth. Um, That's what it's I'm experiencing, what yeah. We're yeah. experiencing, therefore, it's true. Um, and I agree, you know, everything's taking far too long and the views of patients are not being validated. Um, you know, there like the are... Really, yeah. some really talented clinicians out there. Yeah. Uh, people are dedicated to their craft, but um, without the knowledge and without the training of how to identify MECFS, diagnose it, and treat it, people are resorting to um, uh, views that are just not true. And, and one of them is that your physical symptoms as a, are as a result of some kind of psychological problem that you've got. And that is just 
not true. Um, uh, it's, it's a shortcut to really get rid of you out of their practice and, you know, um, refer you on to someone else because they don't know what to do with you and that's just not good enough. So um, this is your reality, Chris, and um, and and I'm sure that everybody who is listening who has MECFS would agree with you. Nodding so, away. Yeah, just going, yep, yep. All the stories yep. I've read as well, and they all help because you go, she just described what happened to me, like specifically. Like you see... Look, what I thought of to describe it, because it's taken so long, but my son and I were watching, we watch learning videos. We have the nice moments together, quality over quantity, as my wife says. Uh, but we're watching a video about the solar system. And I suppose that's how the symptoms feel. It feels like you're navigating and some, you know, some of those symptoms are, they're overwhelming by themselves, and I can't under—I can't understate that. I—I've recovered from you know shattered bones and and cuts, like all sorts of injuries. I was very active <laughs> once upon a time, um, and nothing—nothing nothing prepared me for this yeah, because I, you, I... you can't wait it out you can't tough it out you can't you have to be very disciplined um in how you use your energy otherwise you just keep dropping down um yeah that's that's exactly as you know what we teach um yeah. in pacing we can talk about a little bit later chris mm. i want to touch on a, a delicate area and wonder if you'd be willing to take listeners into that dark place you entered and what made you reach out for help? <clears throat> it's, not, it's not that it's an uncomfortable thing to speak about it. It's quite taboo, isn't it? Um, look. I used to teach using stories, and I, I suppose I'm not going to stop. I flailed around because my cognition wasn't what it is now, and I was in panic mode, and I'm like, I used to remember how to do these things. Why can't I read that, that document, blah, blah, blah. You go into a bit of a panic. Why am I forgetting things mid-sentence, like a dementia patient, like, because you got dementia. <laughs> like all the, these things that were happening, it, it was really hard to focus on. What, it was really hard to be understood by anyone. And I have a lot of friends and they I grew up with them. They understand me, including my brother. You know, a lot of people understand me. None of them could understand when I was speaking because I was so fractured. Um, and without anyone saying, you're not going crazy, and the doctors are actually incorrect in this, not the doctors are wrong. They don't have all the information, obviously, and have drawn an obvious conclusion. Well, if I don't know, and never heard of this. And this is what my GP said in his 40 years. He's never heard of any of the people. He's never heard of this before. Like, sorry, he didn't say he hasn't heard of it. He said he hasn't seen it. And no one he's ever worked with has ever seen it. And I said, no, you've seen it, but you didn't know what you're looking at. And I say that with all respect. You only know what you know. And I didn't even know, and I was looking for these types of issues in my career. I was always looking for these things. So when it came to hit me, and I didn't pick it straight away, I didn't know what was going on, I realised that, sorry, give me a sec, 
It wasn't an emotional decision. It was a rational one. And I've, I've always sworn to myself that I will, I'll endure anything other than the deterioration of my mind. I will not tolerate that. And I, only because I can't stand the idea of being a burden on others. And I know that's the wrong way to put it, but I've been trained my whole life to be a pillar, not not what, you know, rests on, so, on top of that pillar. So I've had to learn humility um, throughout it, but what led up to that, that desperate call. Jeez, it was desperate too, wasn't it? I only remember some parts. Um, and how utterly professionally it was dealt with. It was like, while I was being helped, I was sitting there going, this is, you know, part of me was saying, this guy knows what he's doing, like he's doing a really good job. Um, you know, through all the, the tears and whatnot. But uh, just having been understood at that point stopped me from thinking that, well, I'm just going to keep declining and I've got to figure out the point where I'm going to make that stop so I can, you know, well, something about honour. Um. And obviously it wasn't the right choice because there are things that can be done. But just having called everyone that I knew, all the wise people that I know, or every single government agency you can think of, uh, having been rejected by doctor after doctor saying, I agree with that guy, it's in your head. I'm like, I know it's not, and I know you're wrong, but I, I can't fight you because I have no status anymore. That, that was a big thing. I didn't realize that I'd lost my status. I'd gone from high-status individual in the eyes of the law, yeah. writing stat decks and, and whatnot, to disabled, to a burden. And it was really, really apparent to me, and it made all my symptoms worse and it made this a lot more painful than it had to be and i hope beyond hope that the medical system isn't intentionally doing this because yes there's a good chance we wouldn't be speaking we definitely wouldn't be speaking right now uh if i didn't make that call so yeah can I just ask you what what we can you recall and, you, and if you can't then just say that's fine but at the time what made you say I'm going to reach out for help now and I'm going to call whoever whether it was Emerge Australia you know what, what was that impetus because for people who are listening who sometimes get to the end of their tether with their disease, you know, it's it's really interesting and important to understand what that little trigger in your mind and in your heart was that said, I'm not going to do it right now, I'm going to reach out and ask someone for help. See, that's a very good question um, and I know exactly what it was, it was the moment that I realised that that's what I'd promised myself and now it was becoming a reality. So it was the very beginning of a plan that I didn't think I'd ever have to enact, ever. It was just something that I said and something that I tried to convince myself of probably more than anything else, which is quite contradictory to what I believed in for others with disabilities. So I suppose 
it was a lot of hypochondria right there and cowardice on my part. But when you do hit that point, you want some hope, any hope. Um, and and as I've as I've said, well, and I state quite clearly and proudly, um, <laughs> without the pillar of Jesus Christ to stand on, as I said, I don't think I would have picked up the phone. I don't think I would have been finally able after months to find through Google emerge and get to the point where I could be understood enough verbally because we I suppose it's it's pertinent to point out I have not been able to speak even like this uh, for a long time. It, it took me months, months and months. Um, when I say fractured, I actually mean shattered, like you shatter into lots of little pieces. That's what it feels like anyway. Yeah. And you're trying to put everything together in a vacuum with all your symptoms just constantly bombarding you and overlapping, and it's a pretty dark way to live uh, when you are focused on it. Yeah. So if you focus too much on the, the various pains, the twitches, the you know the the scalp that just feels freezing cold and and boiling hot at the same time, the fact that a shower you know wipes you out for four or five hours, um, but it's the only thing that'll fix your back that is tightened up. And <laughs> yeah, there are these chains of things that need to happen in certain ways and certain orders, and you do start. To, I'm only at the start of it. You do start to learn the rhythm. Uh, and you get this hour or half an hour of almost normality. And then you have to really hold yourself back because if if you try and act like you're normal again, it puts you right back down. So yeah. you have to be a lot more disciplined. I have to be a lot more disciplined than I ever have been in my life without a lot of the tools I used to rely on. Yeah. So how long has it taken you to experience a degree of improvement in your condition? So you've already talked about some of the discipline and steps that you've had to take that's been helpful for you, but what period of time are we talking about since you started to feel things are improving gently, incrementally? Yeah. The start of it happened when I realised that my health is in my own hands. I'm responsible for my health. It came about four months into it. Now, in my particular case, I have a lot of trouble with my short-term memory now. It, it's like, it's not, oh, you haven't had enough sleep you know, for a night. It's you haven't had enough sleep for a year type of levels of, and every parent, I think, would understand that yep. for great periods. But I wake up every morning like that. Uh, this is me bright and alert. <laughs> um, and that took a lot of preparation. But it's worth it. That's, I think that's one of the big hopeful messages that you learn to really savor those times that you set up through pacing, through good nutrition, through getting up and stretching, even though every muscle in your body is on fire. Smiling at your kids, even though, you know, whinging away, like every time you decide to do something better, <laughs> you feel that improvement. And as I used to say to my students a lot, satisfaction comes from seeing your own improvement or the improvement in others you've taught 
And I'm like, I get satisfaction from seeing you be satisfied. <laughs> like it, it's a, it's a concept that my little autists, and I'll say that with all due respect, uh, understood completely. Yeah. That they can improve. And if they've really dedicated themselves to something, they might not be the best, but they'll definitely get better at it. Uh, and I've had to learn to go by my own teachings in that. Yeah. Uh, you're yep. just aiming to achieve some things each day while being disciplined. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you for that, those insights. So um, I'm interested to hear your views on what you believe needs to be done to bring about change for people and their carers um, who have MECFS and long COVID. Yeah. Something I've reflected on long and often um, as I do with a lot of things that are related back to my, my classroom it's what I know that formula that I was I was talking about before that my, my principal understood and endorsed um it was born out of a need, well, student need. And those students, everyone, responded to very simple values and ideas. Uh, values and ideas that can and I have taught and tried to teach for most my kids as well, um, that Everything can be solved with dialogue as long as that dialogue is respectful and bound by rules. Could you please tell me again what the question was? I just lost my <laughs> I lost my thread. No, that, that's fine because what you've actually talked about is something that's critical that funnily enough doesn't happen very much between patients and government between organizations between clinicians specialists and that is dialogue yes. <laughs> uh, and yes. respectful and, uh, dialogue yes yeah. and our um unfortunately our, our governments are sticking to very old rules that are very outdated so we don't, as you know, have clinical guidelines for people with MECFS. They they go back to two thousand and two, uh, and we have a big divide, um, a clinical divide in this country between those who regard themselves as serious researchers and clinicians, and those who they regard as not so serious. And until such political, yeah, yeah, until until such time as the politics in our medical profession actually are addressed through dialogue, through coming together and saying, let's put the patient first, um, it's going to make it very difficult for change to occur for those people who are stuck in the middle. Um, but, Chris, I, I understand you've had some success with regarding to your um, um, certification of disability um, that would have taken an immense, immense amount of work to get that kind of a result. Can you talk a little bit about that? Because, you know, all of our listeners um, who are at the level of disability that you are um, and others who maybe aren't are nevertheless trying to get support from the NDIS support through the disability support pension, some support in recognition of their disability. And I believe you've you've achieved that recently. And not only me, but uh, quite a few people of means that I know of. Um, and I suppose like this is the, the heart of the matter here. I could have stopped uh, this journey uh, about six months ago when I engaged a, a wonderful advocacy team to 
complete the paperwork and the particulars that needed to be done to access my super and super insurance. And that they were flame right. I'll say their name because they think like they treated me like Emerge and all of Merge's staff has treated me. There are people out there who were raised by parents who had to deal with this invisibly. But but the kids saw how they strived to to continue on for them and it seems inspired to do this work to raise awareness not 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 for personal gain but for the benefit of all Australians because the more we understand the more we support each other the more those people we support can support the people who support them and instead of coming home and going oh there's my disabled husband i have to clean up after him blah 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 and it's a chore we can learn to live together and i can learn to strive to do those small things like keep myself clean and my area clean and that's all based on what you're really focused on now i i can only really focus on one thing at a time anymore uh, i have tried and failed to think of multiple things like I used to. I loved my brain for that. I could think of lots of things at the same time, make connections here, there, and everywhere. Nowadays, it's I can't do anything without purpose. And my one goal is to make sure that my family doesn't suffer more than they have because I've... I'm like this now. If they're taken care of, I I can quite happily continue to find ways to rehabilitate. There is so much wonderful information out there, medical information, scientific information. It's so good to learn as much as you can about this because it brings a lot of peace. It's not you, it's what's in you, and it can be improved in various ways. Yeah. Um, that's amazing. I'm just going to go back. But yeah. Right at the start, you spoke about the immense grief and loss that um, you suffer from losing your own, your old self, so to speak. Um, are you at a stage now of accepting where you're at? Is Have you actually got through to the stage where you're accepting um, and making the most of what you've currently got, do you think? If you can smile, who said it? One of, one of the ancients. Uh, stated clearly that it's impossible to to smile in the face of of adversity and mean it. And I don't think that's true. Um, my world has shrunk. My resources are now, you know what? My personal resources are non-existent, but there are still things around me and it doesn't matter anymore. Uh, you start to find out what really matters uh, in life. You start really appreciating a, a breeze across your, your face or, you know, little blue fairy wrens twittering about you. You really pay a lot more attention to your environment. Um, and as I used to say to students, you know how you are by how you take care of things. And if you can still take care of things, then you have purpose. So my what major advice is to get some plants, take care of them, uh, because you're, you're serving purpose. It doesn't matter how small it is. Yeah. 
That's an amazing answer. So I've got a slightly lighter question for you now. Um, if you were Prime Minister for a day, what would you do? I thought about this a lot. <laughs> I'm sure. I thought, yeah, I thought about it. I thought about it as a public servant and then I'm, I forced myself to look away from that one. I, I saw it from a person who was still hard to say, severely disabled, um, but catastrophically disabled person. But on the best end of that, if that makes sense, I can yep. still speak. I can still prepare to be like this, even though it's going to cost me down the track. But I know what I have to pay to be like this for a little while. I thought about it long and hard. And once I got past my own feelings about it and I thought about the actual job, I thought to myself, I'd be doing probably what he's doing now. I hope is what he's doing now. And it's what I can see just with my function as it is and my, my experience, but I can see a government preparing a strategy, a coherent strategy, and I can see them manoeuvring into the point where they say, right, this is happening, guys. This is how we're going to start to deal with it and we'll work together. We're not going to force things. We're going to open up that dialogue. That's what I hope is happening right now. And I hope they just need a bit of time to coordinate that effort. If it's not happening, that's what I'd spend my day doing, mm. making yeah. sure that that starts at the very least. So that's probably the most polite answer and the most un <laughs> most professional answer I can think of. I can imagine. No, but look, it must be a hard job. It must be a hard job weighing and balancing all these things. It's just that we know how catastrophic this can be to some people. If I had any less support, and I've had extensive support if I had any less, I probably wouldn't be here. Yeah. And that would have been a tragedy. That, that wouldn't have been good for my family. That would have been quite the opposite. All my friends, it would have been an absolute tragedy. And I just wonder if that 70-year-old woman that I spoke to who had it all her life, who's been ridiculed all her life, who's been told she's wrong, she's dumb, she doesn't understand, and I'm sitting here as a teacher going, everything you said to me makes sense. I know exactly why you are the way you are because it's the way I am. But I was given different opportunities. And I became, from what my students gave me, I became a good teacher for a time. And I'm really thankful for that. So I guess another piece of advice is look back on your old self, grieve that you don't have it anymore, but also be thankful that you had it at all. It's a much better way to look back on your past um, and to learn from it again because you're really rebuilding yourself, right? So Chris, I'm, I'm learning. I was just going to ask you about hope and inspiration, but instead what I will say is that you are an inspiration to our listeners in how you are dealing with your disability. Um, uh, I'm, I'm sure that many people listening will be inspired and um, will, will have hope to, to be able to keep going um, uh, to ensure that one day maybe they'll be able to improve or that something will happen or like we said right at the beginning of this in interview that we imagine a world where um, invisible illnesses will be will become visible, that um, cures for ME-CFS will be available, that biomarkers will be available, 
and I guess the entire community lives in the hope that that will happen. But in the meantime, there's life. And I think what your experience has demonstrated to us is um, that no matter how low you fall, um, you can still work towards having a degree of enjoyment and inspiration in everything you do. Life is certainly still worth living, I'll tell you that. It's just, it just is. Um, so don't give up because help is coming and things are changing. I'm, I'm very cognizant of that at a political level, at all levels. So we just got to keep going. Stay Bruce, strong. Thank you for your time, for your willingness to share your personal experiences and your willingness to be vulnerable and tell us about the hard times and the really tough times. We really, really appreciate having you on our podcast series and delving into your personal experiences for the benefit of those tuning in today and giving everyone so much hope and encouragement. So thank you, Chris, very, very much. Thank you for having me and giving me the opportunity to reflect on all of this um, because really reflecting and learning, it's a wonderful thing to do when you have very little function left. Um, so there, there's always purpose. There's um, always purpose. That's right. That's, that's the note that we leave um, uh, our listeners on. So the Emerge Australia podcast series seeks to speak with people of influence and those whose voices need to be heard, and Chris Quills is one of those. Mm. This is a platform where we can together explore the pressing issues faced by 250,000 people with MECFS and at least 400,000 more with long COVID. Please tune in for our next interview, and don't forget that for more information and to subscribe to the Emerge Australia newsletter, visit our website on www.emerge.org.au or call our telehealth service for support and information. Thank you again, Chris. What a wonderful interview. And bye to everyone for now. Thank you. You may say that I'm a dreamer But I'm not the only one I hope someday you'll join us And the world will live as one